The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Yes, I will let you
So writing one of these is always super interesting. Like, you never really know when it's going to come to you. Like, you can be doing, like, the most random things, like going to the bathroom, sitting in your freshman seminar class, not really paying attention. I'll admit that. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> one of the professors is back there. But uh, I was sitting in class, and it, the best way I can describe how these come to you, it's like a brick. You just sit in there, and out of nowhere, it just hits you and be like, huh. That'd be a great idea. I have a notes page. It's just ideas of communions. And so this one came to me. Um, so anyways, in my great teenage years, I've accomplished many challenges, like graduating high school, how to drive a car, kind of, uh, how to budget, kind of. But the one thing that I struggle with a lot is kind of keeping my room straightened up. And it frustrates my mom so bad because our house is very nice, organized, everything has its place. You could not lose anything if you tried in that house. And it frustrates her because all it takes is putting forth a little effort, you know. And my room, it's not bad. It's not like one of those episodes of, like, The Hoarders where you can't even see the bed and there's, like, food wrappers everywhere. Uh, I mean, it's got, like, I got on my shoes because I get tired and I kick them off right at the door or clothes that I haven't folded because I'm lazy. And the biggest problem is the cups. I have the, My biggest problem is I'll drink a drink and then set it on the counter or the dresser and walk away. So there's, like, 
eight cups. And so, and it's not hard. Literally all it takes is one day of going to your room, shutting the door, turning on a good Spotify playlist, and just getting to work. And get back on track. Uh, sorry, let's miss But why do we need to do it and take a whole day to do it whenever we could simply just finish a cup, go throw it in the trash, kick your shoes off, put them away, get a load of laundry done, fold it? Do, do we do that with our Christianity? Do we run to God when it finally gets so bad that he's the last resort? Instead of taking time daily in prayer, do we do those little things to get straight with God, get rid of the regrets and mistakes? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It says rejoice in all circumstances, either good or bad. So that means going back to our example. On those days where you need to just straighten up your sheets, and on the days where you need to do a deep clean and reorganize the entire dang room, every day give thanks in all circumstances, not just when it gets bad or is convenient to you to go pray to God and get straight. Please bow your head. Our dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we thank you for this wonderful day. We pray that we always honor and worship you through our week, and we pray that in any struggling times through this week that we look to you and always look for your guidance and directness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh uh-huh.
Experts will tell us there are basically eight emotions. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, surprise, anticipation, anger, and trust. All illustrated very clearly in Pixar's Inside Out. If you haven't seen it, it's wonderful. Uh, has some really powerful teaching in that movie, actually. Our emotions flow through our bodies all the time, regulating our thoughts, our reactions, and let's be honest, life would be really drab without emotions. If we didn't have emotions, we couldn't cheer for our football team that won. We couldn't cry when our football team loses. We, uh, we, we have all of these emotions, no sadness, no cheering. It would be no good. But what if you are filled with false emotions? Religion is often accused of emotionalism and building everything up and making it all emotional. I'd like to see if that is really true. And if so, how can we deal with that? We're in this series called Choose Your King. First Samuel, we're looking at the time between the judges and David as king. Really just the first few chapters of the book of First Samuel. How did Israel survive? How did they keep... Uh, how did they make him king? They had lots of options. And who was really directing them? Now, a thought we threw out last week, if you've been with us, is that you have a king. It's just, do you have the correct one? And I want to tell you, too, is before we get started, if you'll start turning to 1 Samuel 7, there's going to be times in the next few minutes where you're going to be listening and saying, oh, 
man, I wish so-and-so would hear about that. I'm not talking to so-and-so, okay? And, and, I'm may, and I'm not aiming at anyone, all right? That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I believe that God is speaking to us today. This is not one of they need to hear this. We need to hear this, all right? Join me in 1 Samuel chapter 7. If you're joining us online on the radio, thank you for tuning in. Central Christian Church, we're in 1 Samuel 7. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eliezer, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Why? Well, they'd been at war with Philistia. If you were with us last week, they uh, had this Ark of the Covenant. They brought it to the war and they lost it. They, they got smashed by the Philistines. 30,000 Israelite warriors killed. They lost the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant went to the Philistines. And lo and behold, it wasn't a great thing for them. It got them sick. It gave them tumors. And if you read in here in chapter 5 and 6, and within seven months, they were ready to give that thing back. Give it back to Israel. And how, in chapter 6 is really interesting if you read it, how they got it back. They came up with this idea. Let's put it on a trailer. Let's put a couple of cows in front of that trailer and let's just send it down the road. Let's just, you know, get it out of the way. And sure enough, it does. It takes this this Ark of the Covenant and takes it back to a place called Bet Shemesh, the house of Shemesh, which was an Israelite town. It came in there and all is well, right? Well, look in chapter six and verse 19, you'll find that God destroys 70 Israelite men, not Philistine men, 70 Israelite men for doing one thing, for looking in the Ark. They looked in the ark and they were killed. Now, some of you right now are replaying your childhood and you're going back to Harrison Ford and that girl tied to that pole, right? Okay, they're in, in the first Raiders of the Lost Ark, the best one, and they're about to open the Ark of the Covenant and he says, keep your eyes shut, right? And they hold their eyes really shut and things are flying all around and everything. They got that from this passage. And that's one time Hollywood actually got it right. They actually put that in there from this passage. Now, the ark was in enemy territory. They bring it to Beth Shemesh, and then they move it to a little town called Kiriath-Jerim for 20 years. I want to make a statement. We started this talking about emotions and feelings. Feelings can lie to you. True? Feelings can lie to you. It says in here, it says it seemed like they were, uh, the Lord had abandoned them. You ever feel that way? Feel like nobody understands you? You're left all alone? Abandoned? Experts will tell us abandonment is one of the most base fears. Everybody has it, and, and it really comes as a baby. When the mom wraps up that baby, swaddles up that baby, puts that baby in a crib and takes a step away, what happens? <laughs> because the baby is translating, they set me down, I'm all alone, everybody's left me alone. 
and, and there is a, an inherent fear in us. And it will cause us, and it still bothers every single one of us, it will cause us to believe untruths. Just like that baby says, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. I'm right here. Even though mom's not a foot away and mom's exhausted and she's just trying to get the kid to lay down. It, it'll cause us to believe wrong things, untruths. We start listening to everybody else. We start getting paranoid. We start conspiracy theories. Everybody's out to get us because I'm afraid I'm going to be left behind. Let's be honest. None of us ever go to see a Spider-Man movie or a Superman movie, and we fantasize about being the person hanging off the side of the building, uh, off the balcony, worried for our life. We're never that guy, right? We always want to be the superhero. We always want to scoop in and save everybody. Nobody fantasizes about being the wounded person. Everybody wants to be the savior, the fixer. We don't want to admit that we feel alone. We feel abandoned sometimes. But God is calling them, and I believe he's calling us, to, to look with our eyes of faith, not with our feelings, not with what's going on around us, that we can really see what God is doing. Now, Samuel reappears here in this book. And you may not realize this, the book is named after him, and he disappears for three chapters. Four, five, and six, he's not even in. Now, we met Samuel a couple of weeks ago. Samuel is the child of Hannah. Hannah was this woman that went to the church and God, if you'll give me a child, I'll give it right back, right? And, and so she does. She gives this child back to God. He's raised there by Eli. And most of us remember the story of when he was a young chapter, a young, a young, a young chap. If you haven't, go back and read chapter one and two, where he wakes up one night or he's going to bed and he keeps hearing God, he keeps hearing somebody calling to him. And he gets up and goes and asks Eli, what'd you call me about? Oh, it wasn't me. It was God. And when, when God calls out to him, he makes the statement that is probably one of the best things a believer can say. Here I am, Lord. Speak to me. And it poses an interesting question. Are you ready to hear from the Lord? Are you ready to do what he says? I love this quote from A.W. Tozer because it reminds us most Christians don't listen to what God has to say because we already decide what we're going to do. I've got my plan. I've got my agenda. This is my life. I'm doing things my way. So I'm not listening for the voice of God. If we want to learn one of the best lessons from the book of Samuel is intentional listening. We just sang it. Give me faith to trust what you say. Because my flesh is weak. I, I'll, I'll let you down. I, I, but you never fail. Uh, yeah, yeah. But what happens next is absolutely foundational. Join me back in the text in chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Oh, this is good and good. This is good. Here we go. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you're really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Determine to obey only the Lord, then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. 
So they gathered at Mizpah and in a great ceremony drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that Samuel becomes Israel's judge. God is calling Samuel to be a bridge in between the judges and this new era of monarchy, a new leadership that is king-oriented. And in the words of that great philosopher Bob Dylan, the times they are a change in, right? Do you realize that changing times, times of change can often bring out the best of us, can often bring out the worst of us. And I can prove it in one point. How many of you have ever moved? Have you ever moved from a house to a house, right? That'll bring out the best in you. Oh, wow. New opportunities, new decorations. It will bring out fights that you never dreamed how we could fight about one little dish or whatever. It it can bring out the best of us and the worst of us. Now, these times are changing, and Samuel asks the people a very valid question, and I don't believe he asks it with sarcasm. He says, are you serious about wanting to return to the Lord? Are you serious about this? Because he's not asking an emotional question. He's not asking for your feelings. He is asking an action question. Are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? Because if you're serious, if you're really serious, genuine repentance is going to involve tangible repentance. He tells them, okay, if you're serious, put away your idols. This is not about weeping and crying out to God. This is about concrete action. But I want you to note what Samuel is asking these people to do is not easy. This is not a simple thing. This is difficult repentance. Now, I need you to stick with me for a second. I'm going to try to keep this as G-rated as I can. But the the worship of Baal and Asherah. Baal and Asherah are Canaanite gods of fertility. Baal is the male. Asherah is the female. And they believe, the Canaanites believe, that when these two gods would, lowercase g, by the way, would mate, then they would get rain. They would get fertile grounds and women would have babies and they could have lots of sons in there and their name would go on. And that's how they believed. So we're going to offer a sacrifice to these gods of fertility. Now stick with me. When we're worshiping God, there are often sacrifices involved. There's a liturgy involved there. it, It often happens in a chapel, in their case, a tabernacle. But the worship of Baal and Asheroth, or Asherah in other places, would happen in another building. They would happen in a brothel. It would give themselves to, their sacrifice would be of themselves into a house of prostitution. A pit of, of, of pleasure. This is why Israel had such a hard time staying loyal to God. They would look at God and say, God, we love you. We love you. But there's this thing over here. It was fun. It was gratifying. You hearing me? It was self. This kind of worship was focused on self, on making me feel good, on making and doing what I want. And Samuel is saying, put that away. Put it away from you. 
Friends, following God is not about what you give up, but it's about where you place things. And it requires an honest look in the mirror. What is getting the most attention in my life? What is getting the most weight? If that's something that is getting the most attention in my life is something not named Yahweh, it's wrong. It does not, it's not going to carry the weight. You see, these people had put self as king. They let their emotions control them. They let their feelings lead them. And Samuel says, if you're serious about this, then put it away. Put it away from you. And you need, he calls for confession and he calls for humility. He tells that to the people of Israel. I believe he's telling it to you and me today. It's not giving up. It is stepping in the direction of God. Now, I'm not so pea-brained that I think that it's simple. Oh, yay, we just come to church, we give up all the bad stuff, and we walk away. No, I get that it's hard. We have battles in our community. Let's be honest. We have people that are addicted to alcohol, addicted to marijuana right in our town, and we're battling it every day. And maybe that's something you are battling as an addiction. I'm I'm not so naive to say you need to quit it. I'm saying you need to... Take a step in the direction of God. Maybe this is the week that you attend one of our AA classes. Maybe this is the week where you seek out counseling. See, you know what? This temper of mine is getting us in trouble, honey. It's, it's causing fights. I got to do something about this. This addiction to pornography, this habit of running away. I've got to, I got to make some changes. It's not easy. But will you take a step in the direction of God that is away from the world? Now, I'll also warn you that it is not easy. Conflict is never far away when you choose him as king. But you see, faith isn't just a happy feeling. It is a, it's a choice. They determined to make God their king. Look on, join me back in the text in verse 7 and read with me in verse 7. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. Pause for a second. If you've been with us last week, when the Philistine army heard something happening in Israel, they got a little fired up. Remember last week they said they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp. Israel cheered so much it felt like an earthquake. And the Philistines got fired up. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, this is bad. We better attack. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, what happened when the last time they saw Israel getting excited and what happens here in this time. Israel got excited. They killed 30,000 Israelite warriors. But look at what happens in this one. Continue in verse 7. The Israelites were badly frightened when they, heard the, when they learned the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines. They begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshunah 
He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Now, I need you to get the geography of this. Mizpah becomes a place of change. Now, the, the ark was with the Philistines, and then it came to Kiriath-Jerim. And in Kiriath-Jerim, they felt this sense of abandonment. For 20 years, they didn't feel close to God. They felt like they were all alone. And, and then Samuel says, all right, let's go to Mizpah. And in Mizpah, the behavior changes. They start praying for change. They beg Samuel to pray. They confess their sins. They make sacrifices. If you noticed earlier, it's, it's where Samuel becomes a judge. But if you Google Mizpah in Scripture in the Old Testament, you're going to find a lot of different places where Mizpah was important in history. One such place, stick with me on a goofy little history nerd trip here, a guy named Jacob and Laban. Had a, had a conflict in Mizpah. Jacob had gone to Laban to get his daughters, remember, because he wanted, he loved Leah, but, or he loved Rachel, but he got Leah. He had to do seven years with Leah, and then he got seven more with Rachel. And they had a conflict, and they went to Mizpah, and Laban, his father-in-law, said, let this heap of ground show that we are on common ground. And it said, that this place, may the Lord watch over us. That's what Mizpah actually means in the Aramaic. It means watchtower. It means a place of safety where God watches over you, which begs another question. Where is your Mizpah? Where will you make your change? Now, I am not suggesting all of you need to move to another town. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to look very seriously at a place to make a change, at a plan to make a change. Because if you don't plan, you're not going to make any changes. Mizpah was their place of a mindset change. Maybe yours needs to be, maybe your Mizpah needs to be your dining room table. Maybe it needs to be the closet of your bedroom. Maybe it needs to be your workplace. Maybe you need to put yourself in a situation where changes can happen. Because I want you to see the cycle of how this happens, okay? He comes to him and he says, put away your idols. They put away their idols. They start confessing them, their sins. They humble themselves before God. They ask God for help. God delivers, and then they celebrate, they commemorate the victory. I want you to understand that is not a formula. It is a format for change to happen. And some of you may be sitting right here going, I feel like I've been in Kiriath Jerem. I feel like I'm alone. I'm abandoned. I'm not, I'm not feeling God. I'm not close to God. Then maybe you need to do exactly what they did. You see the format of how they did put away the false gods, put away from you the Kings that are taking all your time, your authority, put away the things that are drawing you down. Confess. Lay it out before God and be honest. God, I'm, I'm battling this addiction. I'm battling this struggle. I'm battling this bitterness that I can't seem to get rid of. Ask God for help. And God will deliver. And when he delivers, you commemorate that victory. They commemorated that victory with a thing called the Ebenezer, the stone of help. Franklin has preached about this a couple of times. It, it happens in several times in Scripture. It's a beautiful concept. A physical reminder 
of a spiritual change. I highly recommend this. A physical reminder of what has happened. We do this in our lives. We call them pictures. We take pictures of everything, right? We take pictures of every little memento in their life. Their first steps, their first graduation from kindergarten, from, hey, that's his first basket or his first touchdown, or this is her first little makeup dress, you know. We, we take pictures. We pick, take pictures of vacations. We take pictures of all the places we've traveled, all the things that we've done. And we have these memorabilia where we remember these moments. I got a hunch a lot of you have a a door jam somewhere in your house like we do. We have a door jam that goes between our laundry room into our uh, kitchen that has little marks on it. And here's Levi in 2014. Here's Landry in 2017. Do you all have those where you, where you put them up against the wall and look how big they're getting? We mark the time of their life. Do we mark the steps of growth of faith in their life? Do we measure when people are making faith steps? I'm afraid we don't. I'm afraid we don't mark those moments in time. We need to remember Samuel is pointing them to a habit because this has happened throughout Scripture. The Old Testament is full of remembrances. We just had communion. Remember, do this in remembrance of me. We need to be reminded to choose our king every day. We need to be reminded when our faith is growing. And I want you to get what he said when in, in verse uh, uh, 12. At the end of verse 12, he says, He built this Ebenezer, which means stone of help. For up to this point, the Lord has been with us. But do you realize that up to that point, it wasn't all roses and rainbows? Shiloh had been destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant had been taken by another country, touched by enemy pagan hands. This was a horrible situation, but God was still there. God was still there in the dark times. God was still there when it didn't make any sense. And that's the faith he's calling us to have, to have active faith, even when it doesn't look good. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will praise your name. We, we've been saying this. We, we celebrate God not because we are great or our circumstances are great, but because he is great. And that should be our celebration. And look at the results. Go with me back to the text. Pick up in verse uh, 13. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout... Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. The Israelite villages were near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel along with the rest of the territory the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days. Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Did you hear that? Peace comes restoration is real when it is done his way. But too many times, though, too many times we want to work it our way. We want to put ourselves in control. And I just want to say this to you as kindly as I can. You are a terrible king. You're, you're an awful king, all right? I am the worst king that ever lived, all right? 
I want to be king of the castle. Yeah, I want to be king of the castle. Uh-uh. He needs to be king of every part of our life. Here's the problem. We cannot expect peace in this world if we keep running to this world that that's where our source of peace is. We're never going to find that peace if we're stuck there. If our world is our source of satisfaction. I read this story this week about a preacher that I I really resonated with. I, I really stuck with this. It was about a preacher that happened to be working really late, really late at night on into the early morning. He was at his desk. He had papers spread out. He was working on budgets. He was working on pr- trying to solve problems. He was trying to study and finish his work. And over on the, another table beside him, the Bible was open and he just had it open there. And he was going through some really intense things and all of them were very important. And in one particular moment of intensity, he glanced over to the left and that Bible was open and it was open to Psalm 121. Psalm 121 is the one that says, where do I get my help? Uh, do I look to the hills and my help comes from the Lord? And then this passage, the passage that Wes read just a few minutes ago, jumped off his page. It said, the Lord watches over you. The Lord who watches over you will never Slumber. Indeed, he who watches over you, over Israel, never slumbers or sleeps. Now, here is a preacher that is burning the midnight oil and he is worrying and he is fretting about real things. I do not want you to think that I'm just saying, oh, he is not. It wasn't important stuff. It was important stuff. But he said, it was as if God reached out to him and said, there's not really any point in both of us being up all night. I'm going to be here anyway. I I stay up all night. Why don't you go get some rest? And I'll handle this, and we'll readdress it in the morning. Well, that really hit me. Because we fret about a lot of things. Uh Uh-huh. Go ahead. You can nod. Don't you lie in church. We worry and we fret about, and they're important things. You got bills to pay. You got things happening with your kids. You're you're trying to freak out about it, or you're trying not to freak out about all the things that you're dealing with. I get it. I'm right there with you. But maybe we need to let him stay up all night and carry that for us. And we get some rest. Because I want to ask this again. To where are you going to find your peace? Because if it's just out there, well, if it's in that job or it's in that money or it's in that 401k or it's in that popularity and I'm going to be, everything will be right when I get to blank. I'm telling you, it's not, that's not kingship. That is not authority. Maybe, maybe you feel like you've been abandoned and left behind. Maybe you were sitting here today. Maybe, maybe something is, or someone is getting too much weight in your life, too much authority. Maybe God is calling you to a time of confession to really let go of that, to make a change in your behavior. What tangible repentance do you need to do today? Now, I want you to get this. This is not about false emotion. This is not about everybody run to the front pew and let's, let, you know, let's make everybody cry. That's not what this is about. It's, it's about, is God talking to you? 
Because he's not talking to them, right? Them are not there. He's talking here. Is God speaking to you right now? Because he wants you to make a choice. Who is your king? It's so fantastic that we have emotions. Ours go all over the place. But God's don't change. God's feelings for us never change. That's why you need to choose him as your king. And that's a choice that will benefit all of us. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.